Well, good morning. Um, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's good to see you. Um, I've watched that video a number of times now, and I'm still, like, choked up as I watch it. Um, we started a series called The Great Commission a couple weeks ago, and we've been playing clips like this to help us have a bigger vision of what God is doing um, globally, um, specifically through the Christian and Missionary Alliance, one of our, uh, our denomination, our partners uh, in ministry. Um, I've been so inspired by these snapshots of faithful Christ followers um, doing the work around the world. It's evident that these believers that, that God has called, that they, they know and believe that God is on mission and invites them into that mission. They know and they believe that God's mission is to reveal his love to the world. They believe God's desire is to redeem, to restore, to put back together all the brokenness in the world. They believe that relationship and union with God is everything. They believe that, uh, that Jesus is the answer to our human need, to our experiences. And they believe that the work of Jesus is worth telling others about. They believe that all these things are the gospel, that it's good news. So the question I have for us today as we think about the Great Commission is, is do we believe that this truly is good news? Do we believe to the point that it motivates us and drives us to proclaim to the ends of the earth the work of Jesus Christ? In Romans 1.16, Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In, in essence, Paul is saying, I am not embarrassed of the gospel. I am not self-conscious about sharing the gospel. I'm not timid or reluctant to share the good news of Jesus. Why is it that Paul is so unabashed about the gospel? It's because he believes. He believes that Jesus is the answer to save humanity, to save creation, to save the world. Those of us who have put our belief in Jesus because of this good news have a role to play in it. It's what we call the Great Commission. And let me remind you of what the Great Commission is. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus 
is talking to his disciples, and it's his last words to the disciples, right? And he says this, he goes, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What I want you to do quickly for me is, is, is think about what brought you here this morning. I'm not talking about what car brought you here or who drove you. I'm not talking about um, what got you up and motivated to get here in this space. What I'm asking is, how did you come to faith in Jesus? What got you to the point of faith in Jesus? Think about how God pursued you. What were the sequence of events? Who did God ordain in your life to meet you and tell you about Jesus? Who were the people involved? What role did they play? Some of you come from Christian homes, and it's almost been like, I've always known about Jesus. I've always been in the church. But what is the story? What is the legacy that brought you to the place of making a decision to follow Jesus. You may come from generation and generation of Christians before you. How did you come to know Jesus? How did they come to know Jesus? Just take a moment and think through that. As we started this series of the Great Commission, this thought has been coming into my mind, been playing out. How did a pursuing God send Jesus and other people into my life to bring the gospel to me and my family? What was God doing? Who was involved in that? So, of course, me being who I am, I found myself in a black hole of research and discovery. You see, I've heard for years of my parents telling me stories about missionaries that came to Vietnam. And my parents came to know Jesus in Vietnam. So I started to dig and looked at this, these missionary journeys in Vietnam. I read diaries and reports of missions and missionaries names that I had heard from my parents. So I'm put that slide up. And these, these are the type of articles that I've been reading for the last few weeks. This is Vietnam Today, a monthly report from Vietnam, what the Christian Missionary Alliance was doing in Vietnam, right? There's this old couple right in the middle here at the bottom. They were celebrating their 50th anniversary or something. But they, this is the Jeffreys. And I heard stories about these people for years, about them going into villages. This man on the, in the bottom right, looks like he's whistling here, is Thomas Stebbins, a guy that when I was a teenager, he would show up to these conferences and he would speak perfect Vietnamese. 
And I'd be like, how in the world is this white man speaking better Vietnamese than I do, right? Born in Vietnam, spent his whole life reaching the Vietnamese people. So I'm a third generation Vietnamese Christian, meaning that my family started following Jesus three generations ago. So let me tell you a little bit about the history of Vietnam and, and the missions movement. European missionaries were the first to introduce Roman Catholicism into Vietnam in the 16th century. The majority of Christians in the country today are still Catholic. The Christian and Missionary Alliance, the CNMA, were the first Protestants who came and entered into Vietnam and brought the word in 1911. By 1929, their work resulted in the establishment of an independent evangelical church in Vietnam, known to the Vietnamese people as Nghe Tha Tinh Lan. So all the churches, the CMA churches, have the word Tinh Lan on it. Coincidentally, the following year in 1930, Ho Chi Minh formed the Vietnamese Communist Party. And we'll get to that in a bit. The CMA continued the work and planted churches throughout Vietnam. And you need to understand that in Vietnam, it's a country that has faced years, centuries of invasion, occupation from the French, the Chinese, the Japanese, all the way up until the World War II. So World War II ends in 1945. Vietnam then, right after that, experiences conflict within their own country, with themselves. The country was split from north and south. The Northern Communist Party, led by Ho Chi Minh, was, part of the French, uh, was at war with the French, who occupied the south, and the southern Vietnamese, and the Americans, who came in later. That's the Vietnam War continues until 1975 when the communist regime overtook the South and took control of the whole country. In those 30 years of war, within the country, the CNMA missionaries stayed present, just like they had for 30 years prior. Some of them losing their lives because of incidents of war and attacks. The missionaries stayed present. They, they brought physical aid into villages, providing food, providing water, medical supplies, and all along the way, sharing the gospel. By the end of the war in 1975, there were still, there were an estimated 154 evangelical Christians in the country. My paternal grandmother heard the gospel through the work of the CMA missionaries. There's a tiny village that she lived in, in central Vietnam. She gave her life to Jesus. She was a catalyst to starting a church plant in the region of Vietnam, inviting missionaries to equip local pastors to start a church. 
this past year, uh, they constructed a brand new church, and over 400 people worship throughout the week. In January, I had the chance to go and visit. And this is my grandmother's graveside, and still with the rice paddy and the fields. No longer a village, it's, it's more of a town. And this is the brand new church. You see the Thinland name on the top, right? So it's a CMA church, beautiful inside and out. 400 people gathering regularly. The pastor there I got to sit with and pray with, and he's telling me stories of just what's happening and how hard the work continues to be. On my other side of the family, on my mom's side, my paternal grandfather and his father, the family had a similar experience. The, the gospel came through the CMA missionaries in the Mekong Delta. The Mekong Delta is the one where um, you see images of Vietnam and the floating markets. That's right where my mom's hometown is. My grandfather was a wealthy landowner and faithfully served and gave financially to the church in Kanta, the major city in the Mekong Delta. Later on, two of my uncles become pastors. Two of my aunties still continue to be deaconesses in the church there. They go and visit and care for church members and help with relief work in rural areas of the Mekong Delta. This is a gravestone of my grandfather. And then, again, this was in January when I had a chance to visit. And then my mom's graves, gravestone nearby. And then there's my auntie, my youngest auntie, who's still in Gunta and the deaconess in the church. She asked me to bring um, grape Kool-Aid, powdered grape Kool-Aid. And that's for communion for the church. So they mix grape Kool-Aid every week for communion at the church. And then there's two big giant bags of chocolate candy because that's what she takes to the villages and shares with the kids as she does vis visits. I have so many more stories I can tell you about the missionaries to Vietnam who gave their lives who learned the language, who uprooted their families to go to these hard and dangerous places. Not only for the people, the Vietnamese people, but there's story upon story of them going into the hills and working with tribal people, working with Hmong tribes, learning the Hmong language, learning the tribal languages, as well as the Cambodians who were displaced and the Laotians who were displaced during the war, and the French soldiers and the American soldiers during the war. Why do I share these stories? I want to remind us that we have a missional God, a God who pursues us and sends us. Our personal story is 
just one part of a giant tapestry of story that God has been putting together. God has started a story, is continuing the story, and will continue to weave new stories. What I love about this image is that we still have work to do. It's about the past, the present, and the future. And there's legacy from our story. So when we think about how we ended up here, how do we come to know Jesus, there's a full story, a full arc that's happening that we are a part of that doesn't just stop today but actually continues into the future. It reminds me of Romans 10, 14 through 15. This is the passage that Paul wrote to the Romans and he says this in verse 14. How then will they call on whom, on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Monsieur, the, the majority of us in this room will not be the ones that will go to the ends of the earth. But at the same time, we live in an age where we actually have global access to the ends of the earth. We just need to continue to ask ourselves, what is our role? How do we personally and corporately answer the call to the Great Commission? I think the answer actually is us trying to figure out where we land in this understanding of Romans 10, 14 through 15. So let me read it again, but let me read it through uh, Eugene Peterson's message. Okay, so Romans 10, 14 through 15, the message. I don't have this. Did I put this up? No, I don't have this, um, this version up. So let me just read it to you. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? How can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? How can, we, how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it. Let me read it again. How can people call to help for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? How can they hear if nobody tells them? How is it is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? Friends, Someone has to be sent. Or someone has to send, right? 
then someone has to build a relationship that's trusted. Then someone has to point to Jesus and say, this is the trustworthy one. And then that someone hopefully makes a decision to trust Jesus. But it's this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful story of the roles that we play in each other's lives of coming to know the saving grace of Jesus. And so we entered into this Great Commission series with a desire for our community, our church, to, com- to prayerfully discern what Romans 10, 14, 15 looks like for us as a church body. We'll discern together when and where and how to engage the work of the Great Commission. But also, we need to actually address something that may be a sticking point for many of us in the room as well. Some of us in the room continue to question the history of missions, which is good. We want to take a look at the history of missions because it's not all that pretty. We have questions regarding colonialism. We have questions regarding overtaking and plundering things that aren't ours. You see, the U.S. and Western world have a history of colonizing and colonial, colonizing the um, other countries around them. It was more about power and commerce, about civilizing and homogenizing cultures and all in the name of Jesus and Christianity. And that's painful, and that's reality that we see. And so we struggle with the ugly part of this Christian history. When we think about our role in the Great Commission, we have to think about it and account for this history, the atrocities, the destruction, the colonialism. I've been reading um, from a, a guy named Al Tizan, a professor of missional and global leadership at North Park Theological Seminary. He is a Filipino American who works and in, in, in studies and in trying to figure out what missiology looks like for people today. He points out that there is good news. Actually, missions and mission-minded people, there is good news. Because he says we live in a post-colonial world. This is what Ed uh, Altizan says. Post colonial perspective decries the domination, the violence, the ethnocentrism, the racism 
the paternalism and cultural genocide of the colonial past. An honest critique of the way of missions is the path is way of missions in the past can inform the way of missions for the future. Let me, look, let me read that one more time. Post-colonial perspective decries, decries the domination, the violence, the ethnocentrism, the racism, the paternalism, and cultural genocide of the colonial past. An honest critique of the way of missions in the past can inform the way of missions for the future. The church's call to carry the gospel of the kingdom of God into the world needs to compel us to reimagine and not abandon mission. We want to reimagine what mission looks like and not abandon missions altogether. It's the proverbial, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to stop doing it because something the atrocities that happened in the past, we don't want to repeat, so let's just not do anything. But to be faithful to the word of God, to be faithful to the Great Commission, to go out into the world, into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. To be able to do that, we have to reimagine, not abandon. We can't allow our aversion or our jadedness to certain methods of mission to cause us to abandon authentic practice. So how do we engage in holistic missions today? Altizan has a couple thoughts. He says, be honest. Honesty as repentance and mission to acknowledge what the hurts the church has done in the past to these cultures, to these people, to these areas, and to be honest with ourselves. Second point would be racial righteousness. Racism must be confronted as a core to the gospel. Racism is not good news. Colonization is not good news. White supremacy is not good news. Christian nationalism is not good news. It is not the way that God has designed his church and his people. We have to acknowledge it. It must be confronted as a core of the gospel. That Jesus went out to Jew and Greek that is not meant to be held in to just one people group, but to every tribe, tongue, and nation. There is good news. He says, retain the goodness of the good news. We need to retain the goodness of good news. What is he saying? He's saying, what is so good about Jesus? What is so good to each tribe, tongue, and nation? 
We have to look and be listeners and studiers of cultures to see where God rises up, where the good news of Jesus is, and how Jesus loves each and every person, each and every people group. And we see the beauty in those spaces and proclaim the good news. And finally, as you, we look at holistic mission, we look for indigenous leaders. Locals need to be the ones who lead the vision and direct the gospel movement. The local people, the ones who speak the language, the ones who know the culture, the ones who live, breathe, and are the people need to be the ones leading the way. So wherever we go, we come in and we partner and we listen and we help so that the gospel gospel can be good news to people and they don't lose the beauty of their culture, the beauty of their language, the beauty of the the things that God has actually designed them to be. Monsieur, as we pray through the when, the where, and the how of missional engagement, we need to be aware of how to minister, uh, the ministries of the local church look. That's why I think I'm appreciating more and more of our partnership with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. One, I grew up in it. I have history with it. More so, as I hear these stories, as I I engage with um, learning more about what the CMA is doing around the globe, I understand now that we have a reputation around the globe to be missionaries who partner and listen to the local people groups, who look for ways they can partner with what God is already doing in these places. These missionaries missionaries are going in and asking, how can we help? What are the needs that the church needs? How can we support the community? How do we embrace flourishing? Who can we help raise up and empower? You heard in the story in the video earlier of the missionary in Senegal, and she said, They are passionate about Jesus as we are. They are as passionate about Jesus as we are. They do the things that we do. But actually, they do it a lot better because they they have the local insight. That is a missionary learning to step back and let the local leaders lead because they have the insight. The young Senegal leader, Babakar, said, in my life and ministry, they have been supportive. Your CNMA workers haven't just come in and done their own thing. You've come to work alongside the local church. We need to know 
that when we step into places that we are partnering and we understand what's happening in the local places we go. But here's the thing, Masia, we need to know also that we're not going to do things perfectly because we are not perfect people. This doesn't mean that we go into places with our own agendas and just do whatever we want. It actually means that we are more aware of our imperfections, more aware of our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, so that we don't hurt others. Richard Rohr has a quote that I love. He says, pain that is not transformed is transmitted. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. If we don't understand our own personal pain or the pain that we have subjected people to and we don't work to transform that, then we are actually going to perpetuate. We are actually going to transmit more pain and more hurt. So that is the work we need to do as people of God, to do the work in ourselves, to do the work in our communities, so that we don't perpetuate more pain. Some final thoughts. I started out with that question, do you believe this? Do you believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? That's what Paul believed, right? Do you believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? If you're not there yet, and you have more questions about the good news, and you have more questions about salvation and all that stuff, I'd love to grab a coffee with you and just hear what your questions are. And if it's not me, then find somebody that you trust that you know kind of knows a little bit about God and have the conversation with them. It's a journey coming to know who Jesus is, understanding what he means in your life is a journey. And you have time to ask questions. You have time to work through the pain and the heart. For those of us who can say that we believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, I want you to think about this this week. I invite you to think about this. How did you come to faith in Jesus? So go back, spend some more time on that question. Who was, the faithful, who was faithful in telling you about Jesus? Who told them about Jesus? Who are the people represented in your story and the tapestry that God is weaving? It will inform you so much about your history with God, what he's been doing, what he has been up to. And the last question is, how are you fulfilling the Great Commission? How is God sending you? How is God sending you? 
Who is he sending you to? And those people that he's sending you to, what's the good news to that person, to those people? How are you a part of their journey? How will you be a part of that tapestry? You see, for the faithful missionaries that came to Vietnam in 1911 and continued their work all the way through 1975, their story is part of my story. And their story actually propels me to go and do the same. So I know there's more people that get to be a part of that story. It just blows my mind. <laughs> it blows my mind the way that God pursues us and the work that he puts in from the beginning of time. 